If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. You know, our goal always is to, you know, address all needs and so that we can kind of let the field come to us in the draft and we feel comfortable uh, that we have quality capable guys at each and every position and and that's what we desire and, and that way we can go into the draft and and not feel undue pressure in terms of reaching positionally etc. I'm not as sure as Mike Tomlin that the Steelers have actually done that but we'll see what they're thinking in the draft and I'll tell you a position where I disagree about that shortly here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Tim Benz with you. Thank you for joining us here on a Tuesday. We're brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Bet Rivers gives you more reasons to root, root, root for the home team with a 20% profit boost on all Major League Baseball games. Log on today and place your bets on the money line, point spreads, and who will hit the long ball, and you will earn a 20% profit boost on any baseball game. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Peanuts and hot dogs not included. Log on to BetRivers.com or download the BetRivers app and place your bets. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Pirates back in action today. After a day off, they get the Brewers. My logic was sound yesterday, betting on the Brewers against the Giants. My execution wasn't. I told you to take the Brewers over the Giants because Corbin Burns was pitching, and he was excellent. 11 Ks, two walks, two hits, no runs, and six and two-thirds. The under held, per my suggestion. The score did not, as the Giants won anyway. Hopefully it played the under on individual runs against Burns. That's always a smart play in those situations. 
but the Brewers don't score much on their own. Just 56 runs. Only the Reds and Diamondbacks have fewer in the NL behind the Brewers, and yet they are in a virtual tie for first place in the mediocre Central with a 10-7 and record. The Cardinals 9-6 and for first in that division. The Brewers at PNC Park tonight. Brandon Woodruff on the mound after giving up seven earned runs against the Cubs in his first start. He's allowed none in his last 11 innings against the Cardinals and Pirates. The Pirates under two and a half runs tonight on an individual run line for the team is at plus 108. The Brewers as a team to score first is at minus 205 with Woodruff pitching. You got him at six and a half strikeouts plus 108. I'd go with all those options if you want to avoid the regular game lines and over-unders, or in addition to them, Brewers at minus 175, I'm going in that direction. Pirates at plus 150 to win if you want to go the other way. I say go Brewers there. The over-under is at 7, and the number is at minus 103 for the under as opposed to minus 117 for the over again. I will lean under. Hey, Mitch Keller was decent last time out against Milwaukee. Seven Ks, no walks, one earned run. The Pirates don't score much either. I think they just have one more run overall than the Brewers. It's cold and crappy in Pittsburgh today. Give me the under here. As for the Penguins tonight, as I thought, the over-under is minus 124 to go over 6.5. I think, actually, that's not a bad place to set the line given the way that the Oilers and Penguins have the potential to score and how they'll want to score against each other with McDavid and Crosby on the ice at times at the same time. Uh, I think over, that's a good buy for it. That's right about where I thought the Oilers would be for a trip in town, the regular season finale at PPG Paints Arena. The Oilers are hot, having won 7 of 10. The Pens still scuffling to find traction of late, especially against good teams. They lost to a bad team in Philly last time out. Edmonton, a win pays out at plus 132. Might want to go Oilers tonight. McDavid is plus 128 to score. Dreisaitl is plus 102 to score. Gensel plus 110. Crosby plus 145. Malkin plus 140. And Rust plus 128. Hey, any of those guys are good bets. If you just want to do Sid and McDavid on a parlay to both score, It's at plus 475. I like that a lot. That's a fun bet. Crosby's been hot. You know that they want to outdo each other, and I can see that happening, and that's a nice home run payout at plus 475. Other games tonight that impact the Penguins, Carolina versus the Rangers, the Panthers versus Boston, and the Caps have the Islanders. All those games come into play as it relates to the Metro and the wildcard situation. The only one I'd watch and maybe play, because they're all too close to call, the only one that I'd watch and maybe play is the Islanders. Uh, when and if word comes out on Ovechkin, maybe go ahead and just get in on it now and uh, hedge early before the line shifts at plus 160 in favor of the Isles. I mean, Ovechkin wasn't even raising his left arm at the team photo for crying out loud yesterday. Those other games are too close to call. If you want some other NHL games to play, the Lightning should roll the Blue Jackets at minus 360 in Tampa. The Leafs at minus 455 favorites against the Red Wings. Minnesota and the wretched Coyotes who have lost about 10 in a row. Tampa, Toronto, and Minnesota. That's a minus 123 team parlay that I just love tonight. More hockey coming up with Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network shortly. 
But let's get back to the Steelers in advance of the draft. When it comes to the NFL draft, there's one thing the Steelers try to avoid at all costs, and it's entering the first round with a glaring hole at one of the 22 starting positions. Coach Mike Tomlin reiterating that stance on Monday. You heard that soundbite at the beginning of the show. The one glaring hole for the Steelers has been at strong safety until they were able to reach a deal with Terrell Edmonds. Following last year, Edmonds hit free agency following 20, excuse me, 60 regular season starts since 2018. Kevin Colbert said yesterday, and I'm quoting here, fortunately he's coming back to us and he gives us that 20-second starter, so to speak. Eh, maybe, if you squint, or perhaps better said, if you turn an intentional blind eye. In other words, if you don't count a third wide receiver as a starter, maybe, Technically, I suppose you don't have to do so. Derek Watt started four games at fullback. Of all the tight ends, Zach Gentry actually had the most starts with 12. So if you want to count two tight ends as starters, you could. Pat Fryermuth had nine and Kevin Rader had one. Eric Ebron had three before exiting for free agency. But if we're being real, the Steelers' third wide receiver is a starter. At minimum, that person gets significant snap count numbers. Chase Claypool, 13 starts. Deontay Johnson, 14 is back, or they are back as the real starters. But Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Ray-Ray McLeod, they're all gone. They combined for 12 starts themselves. According to sharpfootballstats.com, the Steelers used 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back, three receivers, 75% of the time in 2021. Only the two Super Bowl teams, the Los Angeles Rams at 86% and the Bengals at 77%, used that grouping more. The Steelers threw 71% of the time out of that formation. McLeod had 538 snaps. That's 45% of the offensive load. Washington at 480 at nearly 41%. In three of the first four weeks of 2021 before getting injured, Smith-Schuster was on the field for at least 91% of the snaps. Now, after Claypool and Johnson, the Steelers have just Cody White, 77 snaps, and Anthony Miller at 25, returning from last year. Free agent pickups Gunnar Olszewski from New England and Miles Boykin have been out of the roster. They combined for three catches last year. The Steelers need a third receiver in the draft, period, and they better get a quality one before they get to day three. Fortunately, plenty are available. During our second pre-draft podcast that we posted for you yesterday here in the CityCast, former pro and college scout Matt Williamson from Steelers Nation Radio with me at Trib Live. You can also hear him on the Peacock and Williamson podcast. And like I said, throughout the season here on the CityCast, he told us that by his count, there are at least 16 receivers that could help the Steelers immediately. My favorite is Ohio State's Chris Olave. He's not the strongest receiver of the bunch and lacks great blocking ability. But as Daniel Jeremiah said at NFL.com, he's smooth, terrific speed, surgical route runner, fluid in and out of breaks, creates a lot of separation, good in the vertical passing game, finds another gear when the ball is in the air, tracks it naturally, and can finish consistently. Williamson pointed out in the podcast the most natural route runners are usually the receivers who make the quickest impact in the NFL as rookies. His favorite pass catcher is Jamison Williams, even though Williams suffered a torn ACL in the national championship game. Despite the injury, Williamson said that he'd be happy if the Steelers managed to nab him at pick 20 in the first round. It was Matt's contention that over five and a half receivers will be selected in the first round if you want to place that bet where you can. 
That's what Williamson pointed out when I asked him that question. He said, probably under half a running back, like no running backs in the first round. And I said, what about over under a tight end and a half in the first two rounds? And he said, boy, that was a tough call. It would, if it was over, it wouldn't be by much. So keep that in mind, too, when you're thinking tight ends on individual draft prop bets. But let's get into the defensive line right now and the offensive line, too. I don't think the Steelers are close to as set as offensive line as they do. I've got questions at both tackles. I've got questions at center, at least one guard spot. I like James Daniels as a signing. Everything else to me is up in the air. But I bet they don't go first to an offensive lineman. They haven't taken a tackle in the first round since, like, what, Jermaine Stevens in 96? I think if they go anything in the trenches, it's going to be interior, and I would be fine with that if it's Jordan Davis. He'd be my favorite player selected, but I agree with many who say if he's on the board when the Ravens go at 14, he's not getting beyond the Ravens. So that's my hunch, and I think he'll be gone. What about Wyatt, the other Georgia defensive lineman? Uh, We'll talk about that prospect with Matt, and we'll get into some offensive line conversation, maybe some second-round, third-round guys that the Steelers might be interested there as we continue our pre-draft preview here on the Pittsburgh CityCast. Let's start with the defensive lineman because Jordan Davis has very often been mocked to the Steelers. Uh, He would be my favorite draft choice for the Steelers. I would spike the football if it's him. Uh, I see him as a nose tackle. I see him as more than a nose tackle. I see him as a bigger Javon Hargrave when Hargrave was here. I think he can be that good, that disruptive. Uh, I fell in love seeing the athleticism combined with the size at the combine. I thought he was a lot of fun to watch while he was at Georgia. I'm going to go back to the Mike Tomlin line when he was interviewed at Georgia's pro day though, and said, I think he would have hugged Roger Goodell a long time before we get on the clock. (laughs) That said though, as time has gone along and we've seen more people fall in love with the wide receivers, more people fall in love with the quarterbacks. I feel like some of the defensive linemen have been pushed down in this whole notion of just a two down player has been attached to Davis. I don't think that's accurate. And I wonder if maybe he is there when the Steelers draft at 20, the over under for him right now is at slot 18 and a half. What do you think about that? I agree with everything you said. Um, I've also been comparing him to Vita Vea and Haloti Nata. I think he's a lot more like Haloti Nata than he is Casey Hampton, for example, which makes me think he's going to be a Raven to be very honest with you. Like I think all this Jordan Davis love for the Steelers is going to come crashing to a halt. Whenever Baltimore goes to the podium, as coach said, a couple picks before the Steelers and says in the first round, the, the Ravens take Jordan Davis. That being said, he too would be my favorite pick at 20. I, I mean, even more so than Willis or Jamison Williams, who I mentioned some of the home runs for me. There's some other guys I like there as well. Um, we talked about this with Olave and Wilson at Ohio state, that there's a receiver at Ohio state who's better than both of them. Who's going back to school. Well, Georgia, everyone knows about Davis and Wyatt. They have a defensive tackle there. Who's going to be a top 10 pick next year. Who's better than both of them. So the big knock on Davis supposedly is he only plays 24 snaps a game. Okay. That's great. And he doesn't play on third and long. Well, if the kid next year is Geno Atkins, well, he shouldn't play on first and third down. Or when Georgia's winning by 50 against Georgia Southern, do we really need to trot Jordan Davis out there? You know, like uh, uh, when, when it mattered, he was out there a lot. And mm. my point is, 
if we had Jordan Davis when I was at Pitt, he would have played more than 24 snaps a game. <laughs> <laughs> if he's there and he's playing 24 snaps a game, that's still better than what I'll they have that. at that position right now. And as I keep coming back to, like, is the body type build all that much different than Stefan to it? Like, can't he play inside? Oh, I think he play all those positions. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like people who keep like trying to pigeonhole him as just a nose tackle who will have to come off the field on second after second down. I don't see it that way. I can see him creating havoc and pressing the pocket from the inside like Hayward and to do and allowing the pass rushers on the outside of their three, four to do damage. Yes, I 100% agree. I think he can line up anywhere on the interior and even maybe in time in passing downs. I mean, I'm not taking Hayward or Tuit off the field if they're healthy for him on third and eight, but a year from now I might, or he might go, or they might not be in the equation. I mean, he, he covers a lot of ground. With all respect to Hampton and Steed and those guys, they didn't line up on the nose and make plays on the far high on the far sideline. Now Davis will chase down wide runs and smash a running back at the sidelines. I mean, he covers a lot of ground and even just as a pass rusher, I'd understand he's developing, but there aren't going to be many centers in the league that can handle his power. So if that center needs a guard to help, well, what do you think is going to happen with Hayward and Watt and to and all those guys, you know, like his presence has a ripple effect just like a Hampton did or those other guys. But no, I mean, just to say that he's an, he's Vince Wolfork is wrong. Where are you on the other two Georgia guys, Devonte Wyatt and Trayvon Walker? Walker is largely looked upon as a top prospect. Jordan Davis, just slightly out of that. Wyatt seems to be kind of in the 20 to 30 range, somewhere in that neck of the mm-hmm. woods. Walker's ridiculously talented. I mean, he's as talented as Davis is. He's going to be more of an edge. If he was in the Steelers system, he would be. He'd be Bud. The, he'd be Bud Dupree, but more flexible. You know, I mean, a better verb. But he's not super productive. One of the problems with these Georgia guys is there wasn't enough sacks and tackles to go around because the whole front seven are going to be first or second round picks that production was down. And they were all taught to play the run first. You know, they just. They did some block eating and then you eat all the little those linebackers just run and flow and, you know, make every play. Um, well, Walker's going to go in the top two picks, I think. So, I mean, he's probably not even worth talking about, but he could bust. Why it scares me. Um, why it's different than Davis, why it's closer to the true three technique um, uh, Gino, Gino Atkins type guy that I mentioned, you know, I mean like a, an upfield guy, the Aaron Donald sap type. Um, but he's a little old. I mean, he's already over 24 years old. Um, I think he has some off the field things and I don't think he fits the Steelers system quite as well. What he's just too much of a push it up the interior, get after the passer interior lineman for the Steelers. Yeah. And height is a big deal for the Steelers, especially as a three, four end. I mean, I think they really want them to be, six four and a half or taller to ride the ride at Kennywood and he's under six three you know like he's a little more low to the ground and um obviously he would have a role here I mean third downs and whatnot but he's not their style of player 
Why has Travis Jones from Connecticut fallen to like the mid seventies in a lot of boards in terms of prospects? He was a guy that I thought might be, you know, after Davis, some people were talking about him. Like he might've been the second best nose tackle on the board for a while. Um, is he still a prospect? The Steelers might be interested in the second round or third round. If they don't get Davis. I don't think he'll be there in the second round. I, I've seen some of those things you talk about. Um, I think there's a chance he goes somewhere from 30 to 45. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Then we'll yeah. have the same opinion then. Cause I, yeah. I've seen him fall and just be talked about a lot less than I did in sort of the pre combine pre draft workout process. I like him. Oh, I like, I think there's a cutoff after those three. And if it wasn't for Davis, I think more people will be talking about Jones and he went to Yukon and no one ever saw him play on Saturdays. But he killed the combine. He killed the senior bowl. He's more than just a nose, too. But in the Steelers system, he would be the taller version of Hargrave as well. I mean, he's a modern-day nose. What about on the offensive side of the ball, Matt? Let's go there. I want to revisit one conversation from last year, and that's the Friermuth versus Creed Humphrey debate. I remember we talked about that going into the draft and coming out of the draft. We kind of like talked about tight end being a need, center being a need. Um, and we talked about those two prospects quite a bit. I, I don't think we really lined them up as being both on the board at exactly the same time. And, and a lot of Steelers fans have regretted Fryermuth, even though he's a good player because Humphrey was so good for KC. Um, did they make a mistake there? And, and how do they maybe get around it this year, do you think? Well, they were, right now, as you know, I mean, including James Daniels, they have four or five guys that can play center. So I think the center problems of last year are bound to improve whether green improves or not you know so um i had a really good conversation at the combine with max starks and and i've noticed this too but it came better coming from an offensive lineman that the biggest problem green had and we won't stick too much on the current guys is his snap hand was too slow after snapping the ball to get up and make contact with his opponent and once the league figured that out they lined up on his right shoulder and attacked as instantly as possible that weakness. And I assume what he's working on right now is that weakness, you know? So, and he only played four games of center before he came to the pros. So if he can correct that one little thing, they'll go a long way, but they, but Daniels is also a very capable center. Uh, Cole is a very capable center. So I don't think the, then Hassenhauer will, he, he gets the job done and they gave him money. Right. So maybe they don't go center. Are they more inclined if they go offensive line to go tackle than anywhere else? Or I I would think so. Right. Even the I'm baffled. I I don't think they'll address the interior at all. Yeah. Because they went after Daniels to me was my, my favorite decision that they made in free agency. Yes. By far. Because I'm I'm not as high in the free agent class as a lot of people are, but I do like that signing. Um, I thought if they would go to a center, they'd go bigger than Cole and just try to replace Green and maybe make him a backup or move him back to guard. But it, it strikes me still funny that they gave the money to a core of four that they did. Um, do you agree with that, first of all? And if so, uh, do they try to beef up the tackle position? What do you think? I think if the right opportunity presents himself, they'll take a developmental third-round tackle type. I don't think it's in play early, early. Um, and I bet some people are like, Williams said, did you watch that line last year? What the heck are you talking about? Well, here's my thoughts on it is Ben made the line look way worse. First of all, but we'll just get that out of the way. You know, I mean, not only did he not extend plays, but 
just the fact that they don't attack downfield gets more people in the box and there's just a massive ripple effect and he can't, you know, get out of the way or protect himself. And that's not excusing the line play. It wasn't good enough. But what they have now on the line is remarkable to me in that if you go right to left with Chooks, Daniels, Green, Dotson, Moore, they have an extremely young line that has an extreme amount of experience. You know, those guys have played a lot of snaps and they're very, very young and they're under contract collectively for the next three years. They're going to let that youth grow together. And do I love Chooks? No, you know, but starting tackles cost a lot of money and that contract's not going to look bad in two years if he's an average starting right tackle. And more and more, because there's such an offensive line shortage in the league, I think the key to having a serviceable offensive line is just don't have any massive holes. You can't have Waldo as one of your starting five. I don't need Munoz and Hannah and Webster. I just don't need Waldo that everyone picks on. And I think they corrected that. So I seem to see like Neil Aquanu, Trevor Penning, Cross, um, the Ohio State kid, Nick was it Nicholas Petit Frères? How do you say his name? Um, yeah, a huge yeah. kid from Minnesota, uh, yeah. like three six eight three eighty five. I mean, if I push the list that far, where are we now? With like, if, if I do the cut line there, the Minnesota kid, uh, Faelli, where is he going? Like second round, third round? What do you think? Second round, third round to a team like the Titans. He's too big. I mean, he just doesn't change directions well enough. He's on the ground a lot. Um, I, I think Ekwanu, Neal, and Cross will go very, very early. I think Penning doesn't get past the Saints, who's very tackle needy and won't be there for the Steelers. Uh, Raymond's my next favorite, but I'm not willing to use a 20th pick on him. He's also up in age. I think Tyler Smith from Tulsa is also a very likely first-round pick. Um, and then a guy like you brought up Petit Friere. I, I think him and Rashid Walker from Penn State, um, maybe a Kellen Deach, like those guys are interesting to me in the third round that need to either work on technique or get stronger, those type of things. You know, like I don't think they're going to draft. I don't think their starting offensive lines going to change at all after the week. All right, so my thanks to Matt Williamson. When we come back here on the CityCast in just 30 seconds, we switch gears back to hockey and talk to Brian Metzer of the Penguins Radio Network. Plus, we talk about the prospect of expanding the hockey playoffs, too. That's on the way here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, must be 21, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back at the Pittsburgh CityCast, I'll give you one more bet, a couple more bets, actually, as it relates to hockey. Uh, just looking in the West for a second, Dallas and the Golden Knights, the Knights at minus 106 to win, Dallas at minus 110, it's in Dallas and if you're thinking, gee, why is Vegas uh, so close to being an even favorite with the Stars there? Well, the reason is if the Knights lose, they're done. So I like the Knights to play with desperation in this one, and I will take them 
uh, nearly a pick'em kind of game. I might even go under two at minus 103. The over/under is at five and a half. The Avalanche are due to bounce back. Uh, they're taking on the Blues, who are red hot. St. Louis has won nine of ten, and they don't have a regulation loss in their last ten. Colorado at minus 167 to win. Uh, they've got to be due to bounce back, don't they? Maybe you go minus one and a half on the puck line. Just a couple to consider there that I didn't give you earlier when we were talking about hockey. But let's get to Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. He joins us right now to discuss the hockey playoffs and the possible expansion of them, as well as the state of the Penguins going into the game against the Edmonton Oilers and a look around the Eastern Conference and how that's going to shake out once we get into the playoffs, how the seeding could go. Here's Mets. You can hear him on the intermission reports, on the post-game show, on Penguins Live Weekly on 105.9 The X. Mets, I wanted to dive in headfirst with you about this constant conversation, it seems, in recent days about potentially changing the NHL playoff structure. I'm not in favor of it. I'm okay with the way things are in the NHL playoffs, but it seems like there's an undercurrent of support for the NHL to go the route of quasi a combination of Major League Baseball and the NBA with sort of a play-in format for the 7 through 10 seeds at the end of the regular season. What do you think of that? As if the 82 games weren't enough of a play-in tournament, Tim. Exactly, right. (laughs) It's kind of the way I look at it. For me, if I was going to change anything, I might consider going back to the old just top four teams in each division or something like that. I don't really like these play-in situations. Um, I I get where people are talking about it. You add some games. You give some other teams a chance. But you you skew your playoff a little bit because – if you have a 10th rate, a, a 10 seed getting a chance to play, then that starts to count as playoff statistics. And all these purists are going to complain about, well, you know, a guy was a 10 seed every year of his career and put up these playoff numbers and it shouldn't count. You know, you know how it gets with some of the old guard in the NHL. So just generally speaking, for me, I think they play enough games to determine who should be locked into the playoffs. And if you don't like it, maybe your team should try a little harder or be a little bit better or make, spend more money or do whatever they need to do. But I personally don't know that I need to play in format, even though Bruce Boudreau is obviously talking a lot about it here recently. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. As he even joked, he goes, I mean, uh, what was his quote? He goes, if, if it was happening this year, his team would get in cause they're going to be right on the bubble. But that's a prime example. I mean, he turned that team around, but it was too little too late, you know, and it's just one of those organizations that couldn't get out of their own way until their new management group got going. And they have a lot of young talent and it's a shame that they'll miss the playoffs, but uh, maybe you could have did a little bit more of the heavy lifting back in October when you came in with great expectations and all of that talent and people were anointing the Vancouver Canucks as a team that could make a run at something this year. And it took a coaching change as well as some other shifts and and changes there for them to, to take off. Now, all that said, JT Miller, the uh, local product. Wow. What a season he's having, Tim. I was really surprised to see that he was teetering on the edge of 100 points. Uh, I'm not. And that's why I wanted to come to Pittsburgh. (laughs) He's great. He's a great player. Yeah. yeah, I always loved him, but just, uh, it's kind of like Calgary having two 100 point scores this year. You almost don't hear about it happening until it happens. And then you're like, wow, man, those guys are lighting it up. Well, I look at the West and the West, it definitely makes sense why the argument is constantly pointed at that conference because 
if you look at the Preds, they're the top wild card at 94. Then it's the Stars at 93, Vegas at 90, and Vancouver at 87. So the perceived cut line is right there at 10 because then it dives off a cliff and you get to... Uh, well, no, I guess you still got Winnipeg in there at 83. So there's a little bit more of a less dramatic drop than I'm making it out to be. But, yeah. you know, like everybody's sort of blaming the East and saying, oh, you got to do this because look at the East. Well, no, you, I, this is the argument against doing it as far as I'm concerned because there's a chasm between 8 and 9, let alone 7 and 10. And I'm not just saying that because I want the Penguins, let alone. Frankly, with the way they're playing, I don't need to see them lose a best of 7 to the Florida Panthers. So <laughs> get them out of there if you want. <laughs> but th- that's not my point. I just think that the regular season has to count for something. And it means so little up top right now. I hear some of the backdoor sighting of the NFL insofar as, well, if you win the conference, this gives you an opportunity potentially to wait out um, a best of three or single game eliminations. And you give a little bit more time for healing for the top team in the conference, a la, hey, we've got seven in the NFL now and the top team is the only one that gets the bye. I get that. But what if the team on top of the standings doesn't want to buy? What if you're like Florida and you go in winning 14 of 16? I, I completely agree, Tim. I mean, think of the Penguins in years past. When they've had a week off between, you know, a playoff series, maybe they've eliminated a team quickly and had to come back and uh, have all that time in between. I think, of, I think of 2013. They got rid of the Ottawa Senators pretty quick and had something like, seven or eight days off before they played the conference final. And then they promptly scored two goals in four games as they were eliminated unceremoniously by the Boston Bruins. They never really seemed to fare well after that, that drop off or that layoff. There's a lot of teams that just want to keep playing. And there's something to be said for the fact that you weather the storm, you get the injury breaks, you do what you need to do to go out there and win your 16 games and win a Stanley cup. That is what's always been kind of romanticized about the NHL is, It's the hardest cup to win or the hardest trophy to win already because it requires 16 victories and you got to go through four different teams in seven game series, all this kind of stuff. Well, if you expand that, first of all, you suddenly open it up to some crazy Cinderella team, which might be a cool story, but it's going to take them 20 wins or something to win a Stanley cup. And, and for me, I I don't know. I just, I kind of like the way it is. It's always been fine. And if people want to cite the East, well, I mean, they're they're historic in the fact that all eight teams in the East have broken 100 points. First time in history that that's happened in one conference. Uh, I, I know going back, uh, what was crazy is there was only, I think, three times a team had 100 points and was a wild card. So it speaks to how good the good teams were in the East this year. And maybe the Islanders, who turned it on late, should have been better earlier. I know they had a... Uh, and a nasty hand dealt to them with their new building opening up and having to play on the road and COVID postponements, et cetera. But everybody kind of had to deal with craziness this year and teams took advantage and others did it. Penguins had a ton of injuries and yet they have 101 points. I know they're not playing well right now, but they, they kind of earned their, their ticket to the dance, so to speak. I don't like putting in these other teams just for novelty and for, um, you know, TV marketing. And I know that some of the commentary is, well, you can make it like March madness. Well, this isn't March madness. This is uh, the Stanley cup playoffs. And it's always kind of been what it was. I know um, there's something to be said. I don't want to just keep repeating it, but there's something to be said for the grind. That is that, and you get the breaks with your luck in terms of keeping your guys healthy. And if you have a bad injury, you have to overcome that. That's why you have taxi squads. 
I'm not so concerned, Mets, as you seem to be about the historical stats or the whole 16 games thing. Like, that doesn't equate much to me in the calculus of it. I just don't need to see the Columbus Blue Jackets play hockey anymore this year. You know, yeah, like, I mean, or, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, what I'm saying, too. You know, I, I, I like the teams that have earned their ticket through the first 82. Uh, Madden said he's on board with it if it's a single game thing, not if it's a series thing. I think Boudreaux was talking about it from the standpoint of best two out of three, wasn't he? Yeah, his comment was, you know, it, it wasn't like a straight March Madness play, and he wanted a, uh, you know, maybe a two out of three game series that would start on a Monday, be done before the end of the week, so that some team ended up, if they got a bye or something, they would have had that week off. And to me, I mean, I just... I want my team to get to the playoffs and start playing. And I, I know a lot of these guys are kind of in that mode right now. I think that what we're seeing with the Penguins to a certain extent is a team that is kind of tired of the regular season and they want to they want to start playing playoff hockey. And I think a lot of these guys are in that mode, specifically because there is that other aspect here, Tim. How often do we see the NHL playoff teams largely solidified by, uh, the, excuse me, the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States? I mean... That, that has happened more times than not, where at least six of those teams seemingly are locked into the top eight at that point and never drop out unless they have something really go haywire. So, yeah, it gets a little boring at this time of year, and I want to see that team get to the postseason and start playing. Brian Metzger with us, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Let's talk Penn specifically. Maybe I've delayed it because I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> what a dog performance against the Flyers. My God, uh, and of all teams for it to happen against, you would think that the juices would be flowing. It's the cross-state hate. Uh, it's you're probably No matter what is going on in terms of their record, I know they're the fourth worst in the league right now, but they are one of your biggest rivals, if not your biggest rival. A lot of people think it's the Caps these days, which rightly so. They've met a lot more in the playoffs, etc. But it's Penguins Flyers. It's Crosby sucks. It's all this kind of stuff. And the Penguins went out and laid a goose egg. And I know that they ended up uh, falling four to one. And I can't even blame their goaltender. Louis Domingue acquitted himself very well. If nothing else, he showed us all that he could be very much capable of being the backup in the playoffs and maybe even helping them win a hockey game if they could score some goals for him. I, I, I thought there were a couple of chances in that game that if, if they were able to get on the board, it would be a different scenario. They had a play, they had a power play opportunity early where Jake Gensel had a great scoring chance and it wasn't able to finish. Brian Rust had a great look from the slot, wasn't able to finish. Uh, if they do there, who knows how it plays out. But that Noah Cates kid, which I'm sure you're familiar with from watching a lot of college hockey, Tim, boy, was he all over the place in that game against the Penguins. I was really impressed with him. It seemed like every couple of minutes you were hearing this kid's name. He finished with two goals and an assist and guys like him, who are trying to earn a spot in this league and, and open up eyes as, as wanting a roster spot next season, they were ready to play. The Pittsburgh Penguins, from almost the earliest moments of the uh, the game, did not look ready to play. They gave up two shots on goal inside the first 43 seconds of play. Louis Domingue had to be on top of his game there, and they also let them hit a post. So uh, they, they weren't ready, and I just thought it was a complete stinker. And it sucked even more because you were looking to solidify yourself with Washington, breathing down your neck with still um, three games left to your two games left, as they're only one point behind the Penguins at the time of our recording. I feel now more than ever solid behind my prediction that once the playoffs start, the Penguins will lose in the first round against whoever they're paired against. 
It's certainly shaping up that way, isn't it? I mean, you don't want to be a, a downer in that regard, but I don't, I don't think that I've seen anything over the last month that gives me hope that they are going to just be able to flick a switch and get back to play in the way they were in late December, January, and into that pause in February, which wasn't a pause because they continued to play hockey. I mean, Tim, the bottom line is this team on uh, March 22nd was the fourth best team in the National Hockey League. Only the Panthers, Hurricanes, and Avalanche was ahead of them. They were 39-16-9, 87 points, looking every bit Stanley Cup contenders. Tristan Jari at that point was playing some of his best hockey of the season. He was a, a, a Vesna candidate. He had 32 wins. He had a 923 save percentage and a 2.26 goals against average. Ever since, the Penguins have six wins in their last 16 games, which just really leaves a foul taste in your mouth. They, they can't score goals. I mean, if you take away the Detroit game that fell into that sequence of time where they scored 11, uh, they, they have not been a good goal-scoring team. They also put up six on the Islanders and seven on Detroit again. But beyond that, they've struggled to score. They've struggled to defend. They're giving up a ton of shots against teams that you wouldn't anticipate that they would do that. Just in the last week, what, 50-plus shots to Boston? They gave up close to that yesterday. It was in the 40s against Philadelphia. Um, I think they had 39 saves the goaltender had to make to uh, lose the game for them. So there's not a whole lot of hope when you look at it. I guess if there was something I was going to hang my hat on, it would be the play of guys like Sidney Crosby and Ricard Raquel. They've looked really good. Jake Gensel still looked pretty good. But the team can't defend. They're still getting beat with transition plays. And for everything that I thought they were working on and fixing in the two wins against Boston and Detroit, I just went back to having a foul taste in my mouth after the loss to Philly. They're not going to out-goalie Shesterkin, whether it's Domingue or Casey DeSmith, and I would have felt that nope. way if Jari would have been the starter too. Um, they're not going to hold back Florida, the highest-scoring team in the NHL. Uh, that you know had just come off now a 13-game winning streak before losing to Tampa. By the way, Tampa has 36 goals in its last six games and has scored <laughs> eight in two of its last three. So they're going to lose to Florida. Uh, they're going to lose to New York. Carolina, people are saying, well, they're struggling too. They're banged up too. Well, suddenly they've won four in a row. They're going to lose to Carolina. <laughs> so I just I, I don't see where the soft spot for them to land is. And anybody who's beatable, I think, against them – uh, meaning Boston, Washington, that's just about it. They'd have to get to the Eastern Conference Final to play those guys. So that's yeah. not happening. Yeah, so I have no hope. Well, to the point you just made, when you talk about these teams kind of turning turning things and writing their ships, the Penguins and Boston essentially have the worst records over their last 10 games. Pens are 4-5-1, and one, and as I said, just six wins in their last 16. Boston is 5-5 five and five with one of their losses coming to the Penguins. Everyone else is seven and three, seven, two and one, nine and one, seven, two and one, uh, six, three and one and seven, one and two with the caps bringing up the rear as the caboose in the conference. And they're about to overtake the Penguins. So it, this is not a good stretch of time. And for a while, I think we talked about it a little bit last week. It was kind of maddening to hear them blow smoke up their own backsides a little bit and say, well, we did this great and we're playing well. And if we play that way on a night in and night out basis, we're going to win more than we lose. Well, you, you, you say that through a couple of playoff losses and guess what? Your back's against the wall down. Oh, two say it in the third game. You're down. Oh, three. I, I think for them to have a chance in a series against any of these teams, Tim, you've got to come out and find a way to win game one, no matter who it's against. And then maybe you put a little glimmer of doubt in the opponent or the goaltender or something like that. 
There's been some speculation that if it ends up being Florida, maybe it's Bobrovsky and you, you already are in his head a little bit, but guess what? Then you knock him out of the series and Spencer Knight rides in on his white stallion and you have hot goalie syndrome with another one of these uh, young, young buck rookie goaltenders that just have seemingly beaten the Penguins time and time again. So around every corner, there seems to be some sort of ghost or monster ready to pounce on this team. And maybe they'll surprise us. And I hope that they do for the fan base in this city and uh, for the organization. But I just don't have a whole lot of hope based on what we've seen. And I, I tend to agree with you. This is going to be an unceremonious departure in round one if they don't find some way to significantly turn things around. What do we see from the Edmonton Oilers tonight, Mets? Because I'm looking at their run of games, and before a bad loss against the Columbus Blue Jackets, they won, what was it, 10 of 12? Um, They're scoring a lot of goals as they normally do, and they're not allowing quite as many as they normally have. There were a couple of 4-0 shutouts in that hot stretch, a lot of games where they're winning while only yielding one or two goals. Ever since they allowed Calgary to get nine, uh, before that Blue Jacket game, they were really doing a good job of goal suppression as well as scoring themselves. I, I agree with you, and I think the biggest thing there, Tim, is that Mike Smith, the, the grizzled veteran goaltender for them, has really turned a corner. I mean, they that was the biggest question mark with that team. We know they can score, and they had their, their issues this year where people were beating up Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl for not doing enough, which is kind of a joke when you look at both guys being over 100 points and Connor about to win another uh, scoring title here. But Smith, since March 1st, has played... 13 games, he's gone 10-2-1, 9.33 save percentage, and a 2.22 goals against with two shutouts. So for me, that's the biggest difference. They now have a goalie that's helping them win some games, and they go out and they can still score, and and, and it's not going to be an easy game. I think when you see Edmonton come to Pittsburgh, it wouldn't shock me if the Penguins found a way to have a 2-1 lead or something going to the third period, holding Connor McDavid off for two periods. And we've seen this fish before, and I think you'll agree with me. Inevitably, every time they shut him down for two periods and feel confident with how they've played the Edmonton Oilers, he explodes in the third, has a couple of points. Edmonton wins 3-2 to two with some heroics from, uh, from the, the superstar, or they send it to overtime and find a way to win. And I wouldn't think tonight would be that different. I, I think this is a game in which the Penguins, it's a big test for them, and maybe that's what they need to kind of press them a little bit and show what they can do against one of these top tier NHL clubs. But I, I think it's just, it could, it could turn ugly in a hurry if you give up the transition opportunities against the speed that McDavid and Dreisaitl will bring to the table. And not to mention Evander Kane, who always scores against the Penguins is now a huge contributor for them. That's another big difference since he's gotten there. They've been a different team with another layer of scoring that they didn't have behind those big guys before he arrived. Staying out West for a second, Mets. The Wild haven't lost a regulation game in their last 10. They've won five in a row. Yeah. The Blues are 9-0-1 in their last 10. They've won three in a row. Calgary has only lost one regulation game in its last 10. <laughs> uh, they're 8-1-1, and even the Oilers that we just talked about, 7-2-1 in their last 10. Like I said, they've won 10 of 13. Yeah. Colorado was kind of ticketed out of the West throughout the course of this whole season. And then it's like, okay, let's see which team survives the East to go up against them. They've lost four in a row. Would you automatically pick Colorado against Minnesota, St. Louis, Edmonton, or Calgary right now? No, I wouldn't. And that doesn't mean that 
it's not going to be great hockey and any one of those teams could emerge Tim. but st louis is playing their best hockey of the year they look like a really good team and what's fun about them is they can now score like crazy they uh they've broken 300 goals on the season they're up to 304 they have a plus 74 goal differential and they're really tough to beat on their home ice that doesn't mean they're not tough on the road because they're still 23 11 and 6 away from st louis but 26 9 and 5 at home that's a, a team that's really come into its own as the season has worn on. Minnesota was already really good. Their trade deadline moves that Billy Guerin made really solidified them. I think they back, they, they really backed up their goaltending well with Marc-Andre Fleury. And they're on this rotation plan with him and Cam Talbot. I think either guy has, has just been red hot. It doesn't matter who's in there on a nightly basis. Calgary may be the team that a lot of people suddenly have picked as the favorite coming out of the West because of what they can do. You have that Daryl Sutter mindset that you can shut teams down defensively. You have two 100-point scorers on that roster. And uh, Matthew Kachuk and uh, and Johnny Hockey, Johnny Gaudreau, both of those guys are just really lighting it up every single night. And you have a great goaltender with Markstrom when he's in there. So I think all of those teams bring quality goaltending, good defense, and the ability to score a lot of goals, which sends Colorado – really on on the run a little bit because what i recognized when we played them here in pittsburgh tim is darcy kemper gives up an awful lot of rebounds more than anybody would anticipate those teams are going to feast on that and they also uh turn the puck over more than i would have anticipated in the neutral zone penguins had odd man rushes against them almost as often as it went the other way uh, in terms of colorado doing it to them so i think that that could be their undoing with some of these other teams in the west just really taking advantage of Colorado. And maybe we're also picking them apart a little bit because we've heard them kind of hyped up all season long. But these other teams have really risen to the to the um, top of, of that conference and are giving them a run for their money. So I would not be surprised if any one of them beats Colorado. All right, Mitch. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. All right, my friend. Thanks for this. All right, that'll do it for the Pittsburgh CityCast for today. We'll be back uh, in advance of the drafts. Still to come. We focus on the picks that the Steelers might make in the secondary. How much does Terrell Edmonds staying affect their view of safety? What should they do at corner? We'll discuss that with Matt Williamson, and we'll have Mike Pursuta from Vegas in advance of the draft on Thursday. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast.